0: Live from the Nasdaq market Site, overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Brasso. Tim and Karen will be along shortly tonight on Fast, a red alert on the car lot. Ford slashing production of America's top-selling car as the chip crisis intensifies. We'll break down the full fallout for investors, plus Apple rallying to a fresh all-time high. Should you stick with this trade as we dive deeper into September and later? Netflix having a blockbuster day. We'll tell you what sent shares surging to new records. We kick off a new trading month with the three most important charts in the market at least according to our traders let's get right to them first up the IWM Russell 2000 small cap ETF guy this is your chart tell us what it tells you about the markets
1: hi Melms well you know I'm not one to speak in platitudes but I love these games at the beginning of months and I happen to think that the IWM is as an important a chart as we're gonna look at you go back to last September of 2020 uh, the Russell was exploding to the upside as a matter of fact I think it went from about 145 to 215 pretty much in a straight line. But since January, uh, it's been going sideways in a very well-defined range, you know, 210 to 235. And here we are now, the great Louise Yamada, who is, you know, as you know, she's on the Parthenon of great uh, technicians out there. She will say the longer in space, the higher in outer space. I think a lot of bulls will believe that as well. It definitely feels like it wants to break out to the upside. I bring it up because, as you know, the most economically sensitive names, believe it or not, AMC, the top holding with half of 1%. Healthcare, a big component, financials, uh, industrials, and tech, but this has not validated the move in the S&P 500. I think if you can get the Russell to break out, sort of above 235, then it's off to the races in the S&P 500. That's why I find it to be the most important chart, or one of the three.
0: Considering that this is a quote that we often refer to on this show, Guy, um, given by a person who we regard so highly as to put her on the pantheon of technical anal- yeah. analysts, it's amazing that you got the quote wrong. The longer the base, the higher in space. The longer that's what the I, what base, did I say? the higher in space. The longer exactly the space, the higher in space, is what you said. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the thought is there. The thought is there. Grasso, did, what do you think about the IDWM as, as a chart that it, that could, you know, Portend what, what will happen in the markets.
2: So, yeah,
3: I like Guy's premise, and obviously I've been in value, and i I probably a little too deep in value, uh, to be honest, because it, it did have a nice run. We saw that bounce where people switched out of growth, switched into value, and then they reversed it. So now when, when you look at it, to Guy's point, the longer the space, the higher the space, all over the place, that type of quote that he he just nailed, it's not even Luis Zamata anymore it's Guy Adami. If you look at where it went from, it's been in a trading range and Guy nailed that, uh, so it's been moving sideways. What I do like is that it touched the 200-day moving average for the last two months. It did not break down on that 200-day moving average, which means that it's building up a little more strength. But I would guess if you overlay the 10-year, you can see the reason why this thing has not taken off. So there's a lot of people betting in the value bucket, but you need rates to move higher from here.
0: I mean, theoretically, the IWM has historically been a measure of domestic activity. Tim, Um, it's a sign that the economy in the United States is heating up. So what do you make of this um, sort of purgatory that it's lived in? The longer the base part of the saying.
4: Yeah, I can't wax and coin cliches like Guy, Louise, Yamada, or now Steve. But I, I will say um, that it's, it's right to point to this chart and, and question. Um, if, if we are expanding, this could be uh, a, a great economic recovery on the reopening. We understand there are headwinds. Why are small caps underperforming? Historically, uh, I think, again, a reason why it's a great chart to look at. I always use the IWM as a proxy and a correlation, sometimes a hedge for emerging markets, because, again, EM growth was often tied to U.S. small cap growth. Uh, The acceleration in global GDP often was tied to this. Um, So, look, I think it is in purgatory. I think there's been this period really since rates peaked in May or maybe even back in March that people have been questioning the strength of the recovery or that the Fed will come back in and overstep their bounds. So I think that's that's part of the the trade-off here. It's not, you know, it's not, Time to say uh, IWM small cap stocks are are falling off a cliff. In fact, we may see this reacceleration, but there's a lot of unknown there.
0: Let's get to the next most important chart in the markets. And this one comes courtesy Tim Seymour, the dollar index. Why, Tim, the Dixie?
4: Well, I mean, like all other charts, you know, pale in comparison to the dollar. The dollar is the most important chart all the time. Um, And it's particularly the most important chart. When, in fact, you've got a Fed that's in play in some way and go back to 2014 and 15 when the Dixie or the dollar index, which is heavy euro weighted. And and I think that's important here as well, because, again, the, the differential potentially between and divergence between the Fed and the ECB on their tightening path. Uh, I know Guy's not expecting the Fed to, to do much at, at all, and that's part of the frustration he talks about all the time. I, I I just think that if you look at the move we had in the Dixie in that period of June 2014 through you know first, second quarter of 2015, it was a 25% move in the dollar, and it destroyed a number of different asset classes. It wasn't a terrible time for equities. But the question really to me is, what's the dollar going to do when we get a little bit more direction out of the Federal Reserve. And I I know we've been struggling with this. And in fact, the dollar's probably pulled back one and three quarters percent or so as we've gone through the Fed minutes uh, assessment and as we've gone through Jackson Hole. And so is volatility, by the way. So, again, I I think the dollar is correlation with volatility. We don't want to see the dollar pick up the pace. I think there's a lot of asset classes that would love to see the dollar weaken. But if it doesn't, and, and I think if it sniffs out a Fed cycle that the market doesn't see right here, it will be very painful for equities. And I don't think investors are ready for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the impact on earnings, particularly those um, who get their, their earnings from a broad guy, could be profound, maybe something that the markets haven't factored in yet.
1: Yeah, Steve is right to bring up 10-year yields, and Tim is obviously right now to bring up the dollar. And it's like that Leanne Rimes song that we talk about all the time, wrecking ball. A, large, a higher dollar is, in fact, a wrecking ball for some of these multinationals. I'm shocked, and that's the word I'm choosing to use, that how uh, relative strength of the U.S. dollar in the wake of everything we've seen. Uh, but be careful what you wish for if you're looking for a weaker dollar. I'm not suggesting Tim is looking for that, but, you know, that DXY goes below 88, and you have to wonder what starts to happen in equity markets. And, oh, by the way, I've said this a number of times, uh, a lower, a dollar that continues to lose uh, strength or lose its value is extraordinarily inflationary, and that's at the hand of the Federal Reserve. So I think Tim is right to point out a dollar, Uh, that's probably at the top end of the range right now.
0: All right, let's get to the next and last most important chart in the market, today's payroll report, um, with just two days to go before the big employment number, the ADP survey showing the economy added just 374,000 jobs in August. That is far less than the 600,000 expected. Karen, this chart speaks
5: to you. Why? Yes, it does. I mean, to me, the most important thing is are we going to see recovery? And to see that, obviously, jobs is a very important part of the recovery, but it's tied to me to COVID. As Delta has been more uh, impactful than we thought, that's hampered jobs. So I think if we start to see COVID decline and then we see jobs growth and then we'll see the Fed and we'll see tapering, and to me, that's not all terrible, it just means giant rotation. So that's sort of what, in a nutshell, putting all of this together, what's important to me the rotation that I do think is coming. And I think we'll start, to, we're starting to see a little bit, today, Fang's doing better than some of the real high flyers, but I think we'll start to see a much more aggressive rotation into more value, out of growth. I mean, in
0: some ways, Steve, uh, this is sort of the, the root of all of the other charts that were highlighted today. And it all leads, all the paths lead to Jerome Powell and what, what he and, and his you know, fellow Fed governors are going to do.
3: Yeah, so they all all lead and if you look at them, they're obviously, uh, to to Guy's point, they're all tied together. So you have have dollar, you have rates, you have jobs. So the big thing is that that March 2020 CARES Act, we're going to start to see that money come off the table September 6th. If that comes off the table, you should see that there be a big effect on jobs or jobs created. If you see that, then you're going to see taper. If you see taper, then you're going to see higher dollar. If you see higher dollar, then you're going to see the multinationals have a tougher time, and you could see the S&P come in or level out. If you're gonna see all of that happen, then to Karen's point, yields will rise, rotation into value uh, will be aggressive, but the S&P is, it hinges on tech and growth. So if you're, if you're rooting for the market to go higher, you're not rooting for that whole scenario that I just laid out to play out. But if you're long value, then you are rooting for that to play out
0: sort of makes no I mean, I get what you're saying completely, grosso, But at the same time, we should be rooting for a stronger economic recovery, right? And we should be rooting for the training wheels to come off because that means the economy is good enough. And that, in theory, should support higher stock prices, even with a rotation. It is not always that tech needs to lead the way. At some point, there has to be a passing the baton. That period might be volatile, but it happens no?
4: And I think, yeah, and I think we're due. I think we're due to pass the baton. Look at that. Someone's calling me here. Hold on. <laughs> um, it's not the Federal Reserve, oh, um, and I didn't turn up. It, yeah, it's like
6: it a party me. foul. So turn I, the ring yes, off, man.
4: Look, I'm usually on this phone, but we had a technical... Anyway, I won't get into it. Um, this right, is usually yeah. how... Anyway, so so my, my point is that I actually agree with Steve, though, that, that you know, do you, is good news, bad news, bad news, good news, is I think the oversimplification of, of where we are here. Um, I think that the Federal Reserve, if we see uh, north of 700,000 jobs added, similar to what we saw last quarter, remember, this last round of Fed minutes and even Jackson Hole comments all came before that payroll report. Um, so if you thou Add that in, so those comments didn't include the inflationary pressure and the payroll report. We get a payroll report um, for for August that is bombastic. I, I think the Fed is very much that much more in play. Is that good for uh, industrials and and banks and and those that will be uh, seeing the acceleration from a better economy possibly? Because we think that the Fed's not going to overstep their bounds. But sometimes I think the market is two steps ahead. And I think right now the market needs bad news. I think the market doesn't need more COVID Delta variants, but it doesn't necessarily need a payroll number north of 700,000. And I'm gonna go back and say again, more Fed equals more volatility equals less for equities. So, you know, in terms of Karen's chart, I do believe it's, it's most important. Not surprisingly, Karen came up with the most important of the most important charts. Um, but I think at least in the short term, we should all be focused on this event.
0: All right. So. Those are the three most important charts in the markets, according to our traders. Now let's hear from someone who actually does this for a living when it comes to charts. Chris Verone is the head of technical analysts at Strategas. He has three charts to play heading into September. Hey, Chris, what are your three charts?
7: Hey, Mel. Yeah, so we brought along three of our favorite longs for the remainder of the year here. But I think it's first important we just put this discussion in a little bit of context. Here we are it's September 1st. We're eight months through the year. Where do we rank thus far? And if you bring up our first table here, S&P up 20.5% through August. That ranks historically as the sixth best year to this far that we've seen since 1950. And if you look at the other years here, 87, 75, 1989, 95, and 97, discrete September returns. So that following month, tended to really tended to be mixed. It was a coin toss. You had three down, you had two up. So I just want to be aware of that. We know the seasonality here into September. We want to pick our spots. And I think if you look under the surface of this market as well, it argues in favor of picking your spots. So our second slide here you know, just showing you the percent of stocks above the 200-day moving average in the S&P, this peaked in April around 97%. So almost every single name in the S&P was above the 200. And we wrote about this idea of peak breadth and peak data. It would be hard to do a lot better. And you know, over the last couple of months, we have slowly seen this weaken under the surface. I don't think it's a huge deal, but it does argue that you have to be a little bit more selective Um, under the hood here. So these three names that we brought along, I think, are three timely longs for the remainder of the year in a broader environment where you probably want to be a bit more selective. So first name, uh, we love insurance, AIG. Uh, AIG is breaking out of this five-year downtrend. It's pausing here in, let's call it the mid-50s, Um, But, you know, big breakout uh, over the last several weeks. I think this pushes towards 70. And we love the fact that insurance has held up despite bond yields down. I mean, we took yields from 175 to 115 and insurance actually outperformed. So good name here. I think this is the leader uh, in this group. We like it uh, going forward. Second name, another stock that has held up really well in a challenging macro environment, Alcoa. The Metals have traded pretty well here. The steel stocks certainly have uh, as well. Uh, Alcoa, um, new high today. It's been in this 31 to 45 range for much of the last four or five months. Just start a punch, its head above 45. Our target is 60. We like the group, we like the name, uh, and a favorite uh, of ours going forward. And then lastly, Pfizer. Uh, Maybe a little bit more on the defensive side, but. Now, when you take a step back and look at the longer term framework for Pfizer, really, this just broke out of a 20 year range. It's come back to this 45 level. That's where it broke out from. I think very timely to add to it here. We love, you know, in the spirit of big bases and big breakouts, I mean, there's probably no better example here than Pfizer. Very timely uh, at that 45 level. And the other thing we love about it, there's like 20 analysts who cover it, only six or seven buys. So, we think there's room for the sell side to upgrade this name uh, as we move through the remainder of the year. So, three names AIG, Alcoa, Pfizer.
1: Good longs here.
0: All right, Chris, thanks. Good to see you. Chris Morona, Certigas. Guy Dami, which chart do you like?
1: Alcoa can't wait for you uh, 70s football fans yeah. out there. That's one I like. And Tim will remember this. It was, I think, the spring of 2018. And Alcoa, like U.S. Steel, was off to the races, obviously. We got the tariffs from the administration, for better or for worse, but those stocks got obliterated. Now you're starting to see a lot of these names get off the mat. Obviously, Alcoa reports in a couple weeks. Goldman Sachs just put it on their conviction buy list. $51 price target, I think, in the middle of July. I think this is a name you can continue to own in the earnings. So it would be Alcoa for me, Mel.
5: Karen, how about you? Pfizer, definitely. I mean, for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, when we talk, when I think about this rotation to things that are relatively inexpensive, b Pharma is certainly um, in that group. And so I like Pfizer for that reason. I also like it for the potential booster reason. I know that it doesn't move Pfizer as much as the vaccine moves Moderna, for example, but I still think it's a positive. So uh, I know it's pulled back a little bit from that peak run to 51, but I like it here. I think it's good value. All right. Um, I want to call your attention to three big after hours
0: movers. Chewy, for one, plunging on earnings. The company missing estimates giving weaker than expected forward guidance. Shares are down by just about 10 percent. Meantime, ChargePoint rallying after posting a big revenue beat. Okta under pressure despite topping estimates. Steve, your pick, which of these names you want to talk about?
3: So Chewy, I'm long Chewy. And if you look at how many pets were bought during COVID, it's not as if you're going to stop feeding your pet. I understand there's more challenges ahead for them, and and maybe they missed a you know a, a number that uh, the analysts were focused on. But this is one that's going to be a long term hold for me, and I would bet sooner rather than later this punches right back above one hundred dollars in the stock chart.
0: All right. Coming up, Apple breaking out to a new all-time high today. We'll break down how our traders are playing this record run. And later, the ticking time bomb in the big battle for digital ad dollars. How TikTok is changing the game. We'll explain when Fast Money returns.
9: Brought to you by Eden Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eden Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at EdenVance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at EatonVance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal losses possible. Distributed by Forside Fund Services, LLC.
0: Welcome back to Fast Funny. Take a look at Apple jumping to a fresh all-time high today. Two stories driving the action. The tech titan announcing a new feature allowing users to have their driver's license and state IDs to their Apple wallet. The feature rolling out in Arizona and Georgia first with more states expected to follow. Apple also working on new health features for its Apple Watch, including a blood pressure monitor and temperature tracker. Karen, which story would excite you more as an investor? I didn't hear the first one, actually. It was the state IDs. So- Loading Uh-oh. your state IDs uh, yeah. to your phone.
5: Yeah, I don't really want to actually add my state IDs to my phone, <laughs> so it wouldn't be that one. Um, I mean, I already feel like, you know, it's all uh, you're so vulnerable anyway, but uh, I don't think I really would want to add it. So I still like the stock, though. I am long. I do believe that we are still we have a long way to go in the 5G uh, rollout. And we have, you know, I, I still think a lot of runway for Apple. It isn't cheap. It shouldn't be cheap. It should trade at a premium. But uh, I don't think, though, that that story, either of them, is really what's going to drive this stuff.
0: I mean, I think it's interesting, though, that for so long, we've been so laser-focused on the features that the phone will have, that the phone is not revolutionary, it's evolutionary. And here we have a potential use for the watch that could actually be revolutionary when it comes to health, if it can help detect, for instance, diabetes, which could be way down the line, or high blood pressure, Tim. I mean, how many more Americans could Medicare, Medicaid, reimburse you for this i mean there are all sorts of implications potentially for apple
4: I think so. And, and we're all excited by the potential here of, of Apple's role in all of our health care. But I don't think it's going to move the needle in the short run. What's going to move the stock, um, which is now at fresh all time highs, which, you know, it was a year ago, September, I think almost to this day that we hit those highs around 134 stocks uh, now, you know, picking up momentum, obviously well through those levels. And, and what I think is going to move Apple is not even the, the services side of the story. I think there's actually some deceleration in the App Store. Uh, I think there's some decelerations in Apple Care. Uh, But it's going to be good old-fashioned, you know, operators are promoting the Apple. I mean, like, the the iPhone is being pushed, pushed, pushed by everybody out there. And and I think you're getting to see Apple, who's also been able to elbow a lot of other suppliers out of the way to get their production done, their higher ASP prices. Dare I say it's a bit of a hardware story, uh, again, for now. And, And I think that's what's been great about Apple. You've had different ways to get excited about this story.
0: Guy?
1: I don't need Apple, I don't need Alexa or Leanne Rhimes to tell me to get off my rear end and exercise. And I get that's not really the point. And HIPAA laws notwithstanding, I think the healthcare situation—it's a huge, potentially a huge uh, tailwind for Apple With, without question. I also think the biggest tailwind for Apple is they're probably in uh, close to a hundred or so ETFs in this, you know, this world of passive investing. It really works to their benefit. So, is this going to be the first three trillion dollar company? Absolutely. And I think. A lot of analysts believe that as well.
0: Steve, more highs ahead?
3: Yeah, so I, I have thought it could get to 175. I said that a while ago. I'm still Long Apple. But I, I, I think that this is a tremendously bullish angle for it. We've only been talking about services. Now we're talking about health. Now we're talking about the wallet. We're talking about satellite. There's so many other levers now that they can pull. And the street high on price target Last I looked was $190. I do believe that you're gonna see a bunch of raises on price targets, and I now think that this stock could be above $200 sooner rather than later.
0: Wow. All right, we've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
1: Dancing, singing, advertising, TikTok dominating the digital ad game. So what does that mean for the other social stocks? Plus, porn pumping the brakes, As chip shortages hit the automaker. Buckle up. The traders are checking the engine on this trade in just a few. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
5: For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up. Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project UP, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at comcast.com slash project up.
0: Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Netflix topping the tape today. The stock jumping more than 2%. The move follows a 10% gain for Netflix in August. The company announcing today it will begin streaming Seinfeld episodes starting next month. Guy, I know you're going to be binging that, watching it for the second time around, at least second, if not third. But is, is that one reason why, why Netflix hit this high?
1: Well, it's clearly the reason today, and people won't believe that I've never seen Seinfeld, nor do I have any interest in ever seeing it moving forward. So, But that was clearly the catalyst today. You know, Tim will correctly point out that Netflix has been in its sideways range since last summer. We seem to be breaking out of it now. I've said countless times on the show that I think Reed Hastings is one of the more brilliant CEOs, not only in the United States, but on the planet, and I don't think he gets his just due. But I think finally you're starting to see that second wave in Netflix. So whether it's Seinfeld or, you know, All in the Family or The Odd Couple, it doesn't really matter to me. I just think this is a stock that you can continue to own.
0: What are you watching right now on Netflix or do you not stream?
1: What am I watching on the Netflix right now? That's a good question. Uh, I do not. No, I do not stream, although apparently there are um, pharmaceuticals that can help you with that. (laughs)
0: that's a rhetorical question too much information there let's stick with media though and move on (laughs) watch out google as smaller players making waves in the big battle for digital ad dollars let's get to julia borson with this story julia
6: well melissa the battle for digital ad dollars isn't just about eyeballs and ad inventory but also where consumers are most receptive to ads and according to a new story a new study just out today from kantar research Consumers are most receptive on TikTok for the second year in a row, followed by Amazon, Instagram, and then Google. But while this report means marketers might want to spend more on TikTok, it is worth noting that TikTok's share of ad dollars is significantly smaller than those peers, eMarketer doesn't break it out, but says that it's much smaller than Amazon with 11% share and trailing dominant players Facebook and Instagram combined, which have 25%, and then Google with 29% market share. Now, Kantar's new report also shows which ad platforms are increasingly valuable, seeing the biggest gains in receptivity are ads in online and mobile games, then ads on music streaming services such as Spotify. Then podcasts. Now, social media story ads, still a relatively new format, saw just a 1% increase in receptivity from last year. Now, perhaps not coincidentally, just this week, LinkedIn announced it would stop using its stories format, and Twitter already shuttered its version of stories. That leaves Snap, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, TikTok focused on that stories format and the ads that go along with it, Melissa.
0: All right, Julia, thank you, Julia Borston. Let's bring in Rich Greenfield of Lightshed Partners. Rich, good to see you.
10: Thanks for having me, Melissa.
0: How do they measure receptivity? Because when I heard Julia's report, all I could think about is, is how impressionable the TikTok audience is just because it's younger.
10: Well, I mean, actually, I think the TikTok audience actually is a lot wider than you think. I don't know about you, but I think, you know, it's a fun experience. I mean, if you go on TikTok, it, you know, you don't have to follow anyone You don't have to know anyone. You just start using it and it just becomes this like great fun experience of just scrolling through, really swiping through videos. And the more you swipe, it just seems to learn. The algorithm is sort of magical, learns what you like and actually just gives you more entertainment. And it really has blown up. I mean, it it has surpassed, you know, in terms of time spent. I mean, people are spending well over an hour a day on TikTok. It's just a fun place to be. And I think, you know, to your point on brands or the question that Julia was sort of talking about in terms of brands as well, brands want to be where eyeballs are. So if consumers around the world are spending more time on TikTok, brands have to be there. And I think the most important or most powerful part of TikTok is that they've trained advertisers, you know, don't just put your 30-second spot. Don't just take a commercial from TV or from radio, whatever. Don't just put that same type of copy onto TikTok. Really create TikToks. Like, really think about how you leverage the platform and create Organic content and that sort of idea of making TikToks yourself as a brand has really resonated with consumers. And I think it's why receptivity to ads mm-hmm. has been so positive.
0: So, who's losing out? I mean, if TikTok is winning, if, if people are spending an hour a day on TikTok, where are they taking that time from?
10: I mean, it's probably not a shocker to you in terms of like what's happening to the overall kind of television universe. But, you know, we've seen for a while now, right? Time spent on TV is shrinking. You know, you were just talking, um, you know, earlier about, you know, the growth of Netflix and sort of Seinfeld coming to Netflix, right? Time spent watching TV is certainly shifting. Um, Time spent on mobile has exploded. Time spent on gaming has exploded. I think, you know, the, the losers are a lot of the legacy platforms. You know, radio is obviously losing. Um, TV is clearly down sharply over the last decade. But I, I think, you know, when you think about TikTok, they're one of a number of companies. You know, TikTok is doing amazing. Snapchat's doing amazing. You're obviously seeing Twitter surge. You've seen the growth of Instagram and Facebook over the last few years. It's not like there's one winner. I mean, I wouldn't put TikTok as like, TikTok's winning, so Facebook is losing. That would be a misread. I think the reality is the category is taking share from legacy media behavior as consumers move from sort of linear TV over towards mobile entertainment and mobile content.
4: Tim, so right, so death of linear TV, more engagement, more digital ad dollars going around the space. What is it about TikTok? And you know, I've seen some of the numbers on their top view. Uh, where you, know, you have a chance to hit their homepage as a, as a B2B or an advertiser of some kind. Um, help us understand what is unique ab- about this, this format that they can provide to advertisers and why, again, it's been uh, such a high growth area for them.
10: Well, think about what you have brands doing. Like a brand can create a sound, right? It doesn't even have to be an ad. You can create a sound. And if you put that sound into the right piece of creative, all of a sudden, everyone can start using that sound. I think if you look at, like, Elf Cosmetics, they used this last year, and all of a sudden that sound went viral. Um, You know, look at what happened to Olivia Rodrigo. I mean, it was a name a year ago that I'm sure none of you really heard of. I mean, she was in a Disney Channel show, but you hadn't heard of her. Now she's, you know, talking to President Biden at the White House, and she's got the song of the summer and probably the biggest sensation of the year. Um, You know, I think just time and time again, we see how content, Goes viral on TikTok. It was funny. You, you brought up the Seinfeld segment. I tweeted about the Seinfeld segment just before I went on air, and uh, you know, saying this is going to have a real cultural impact with Seinfeld now being on Netflix. And someone said in response to my tweet, the response was, "You'll know the cultural impact it has by the amount of Seinfeld TikToks that are created the week after it starts airing on Netflix." And I think that sort of just says it all. Like TikTok is sort of where sort of you know creativity now starts on the internet.
0: Rich, always good to get your perspective. Appreciate it. Rich Greenfield. Likes Thanks for having partners. me, Melissa. Um, Steve Grasso, you agree with Rich that it's not the competing platforms that are losing out. It's really TV and the more traditional media.
3: Uh, I think they all tie in together because you're, you're going to get TV clips that are on all of these different social uh, apps, so they have to be watching them to get these clips on in in a lot of ways. But when I look at the charts, uh, Facebook's chart is insane, looks uh, insane in a good way, and Snapchat. I'm seeing it more in in kids' schools on on uh, teams. That chart is pretty amazing too. It's up 50 percent year. That's only on a year to date basis though, and that one is is no one's going to put that in a value. Uh, bucket, if you will. But I'm starting to really see the base and the leverage that a Snapchat has, although I do see the TikTok in my house uh, way, way too often. But I don't think it's at the cost of a Snapchat. And I think Snapchat can go much higher as well.
0: At the cost of a Facebook, Karen, perhaps that has a problem. I mean, from the perception of advertisers, more of a problem dealing with problematic content. Misinformation on its platform, for instance,
5: a lot of things you could talk about Facebook having done or or mis- misdeeds. I guess it doesn't really seem to matter. It's too powerful. I mean, I think Rich is right. It's not he's not worried about them taking share from each other and leaving them, with, you know, with declining revenues. It's that legacy, that you know, linear TV that has been the donor of advertising dollars to the social media platforms. I, I'm long Facebook. I'm long Google's my biggest position. But I'm starting to wonder at what point is that story played out already? I mean, if you look at how a Viacom trades, right? It's not trading like there's a lot of growth there, even though there's big revenue numbers. So I'm sort of thinking we're closer to the tail end of that that dramatic shift of advertising dollars and the explosive growth we've seen in Google, which is great. I, I just, I don't know if it's gonna continue. I mean, if you follow that logic
0: guy, then then the fight begins amongst these platforms for those dollars, which all of a sudden become limited.
1: Yeah. And as much as i like to be sour on Facebook, you know, I think they prove themselves that they can withstand the hits that have come in, in droves over the last couple of years. So, again, I've said it 100 times. There's nothing about it that I like other than the stock. And you can make a very compelling argument that even at current prices, Facebook is a very cheap name in this environment.
0: Coming up, car sales pumping the brakes as chip shortages hit production. Um, so what is the impact on the auto stocks? We've got all the details next. Plus, BABA is back. Shares of Al- Alibaba jumping in today's session. So has this train wreck of a trade finally turned a corner? We'll break it all down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Ford shares on the move today after the automaker announced production cuts due to the ongoing chip shortage crisis. Phil Bowes has got the details from Chicago. Hey, Phil.
9: Melissa, they uh, announced this late in the day, and it essentially is going to hit the the big profit maker for Ford, the F-150. Because of the chip shortage, the company will be idling the plant in Kansas City where they build the F-150. It's already been shut down this week and last week. They're also going to shut it down next week. And they're also going to be reducing the number of shifts at the F-150 plant in Dearborn, Michigan, dropping that down to one shift next week. Again, because of the shortage of chips, that is limiting their ability when it comes to production. We'll get the Ford August sales numbers tomorrow. In terms of industry sales in August, we knew it would be rough, and the numbers are finally in. According to Motor Intelligence, the, the sales rate for the month of August was 13.1 million vehicles. Again, that was basically what people were expecting, and that is well below what we saw these are the annual numbers. Back in April, it was $18.5 million. So we're seeing the fall off here because of the limited supply. Take a look at Toyota, Hyundai, Honda. All of them reported lower sales in the month of August due to the restricted supply. And then you've got GM and Stellantis. And the reason we're showing you these guys is because they don't report their monthly auto sales, but both of them have had to cut their production of pickup trucks. Again, the profit drivers for those two companies in North America If there is any group, though, that is, for the most part, withstanding the shortage of vehicles, mainly because they can also take in used vehicles, it's the auto dealers. And we're talking about AutoNation, Group One, Penske, all of them. And and it's not just these guys. Look at almost all of the auto dealer stocks because of the used market being so strong and because what they are doing when it comes to new vehicles and the high transaction prices. Melissa, it's been a heck of a year for the uh, auto dealer stocks.
0: Phil, what's your take? What's the analyst's take on, on sales in the future? I mean, the longer there are production delays, you might go and yep. buy a used pickup truck, which then might delay the new purchase further down down the line.
9: That's a possibility. The, the only thing that people know for sure is that the chip shortage, it's now going to last for the next several months. Nobody's quite sure when it's going to get back to normal, but clearly COVID in Asia hurting the chip production there at plants in Malaysia and other places. And as a result, Not enough chips are coming over to the automakers, not just here, but around the world. And so you're going to see these restricted sales going well into next year, Melissa. Now, I'm not saying we're going to see a 13.1 million rate every month between here and April, but it's almost impossible at this rate for the automakers to catch up on inventory. And as a result, it's going to be tight at the dealership and the used market will remain strong.
0: All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Tim Seymour, how do you process the uh, shortage impact on, on production?
4: I don't think I, I need to process it. I can see it in the share prices down 25% of Ford and GM. And, and, and how many times do we need to hear this news? I, I don't think this is, um, and again, I'm not killing the messenger. I'm, I'm saying from a market's perspective, I think we see we see companies that have never been more profitable. We've seen companies that are run better. We're seeing companies that have a future, uh, companies that are well-positioned in EV. We've talked about the Ford 150 being uh, the most popular car in North America and arguably one of the highest profitable, uh, most profitable cars in North America. So um, look at the valuation of these companies. uh, Look at, at, at their positioning in the most exciting part of the auto segment and take that data coming out of used car prices and auto dealers and, and, and say that, you know, you're not gonna see this demand go away. And it's very interesting to me, you price auto companies one way um, when they don't have a current business and, and you treat it differently in, in the longer term. I, I just think that investors need to be patient and there's an amazing opportunity for companies that have been through a war uh, and this is a good war. This is a very good situation they have.
0: So is this pretty much, Karen, I mean, as, as Tim seems to be outlining, like like an iPhone delay? People eventually buy one it's just down the line, right. but it's not a sale think, loss still, even at this point. It's,
5: right. Exactly. We talk about like if you don't go out to dinner, that is a sale lost. You're not going to make it up later and eat maybe, maybe you will, but probably not. But I, I think it's just delayed, not denied. And, you know, you talked about are, are people going to turn to the used auto, used car market? Yes, they will. But those cars are also aging. The whole fleet is aging of cars in America. So right. I think it's just, you know, uh, gratification delayed, not denied I'm long GM, but, you know, it's, that's been just a terrible place to be. I think Lyric next, beginning of next year is going to be very, very important for them. And maybe we'll see some valuation out of Cruise. Right. Coming up, Alibaba
0: popping in today's session, but is this comeback for real? We're breaking down the China tech trade next. Plus, Broadcom earnings are on deck and options traders are betting on a chip rip when this report crosses the tape. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Alibaba breaking out today. The stock jumping nearly 4%, even as the China Tech crackdown shows no signs of letting up. Uh, Tim flagged the move. So, what's your take on this one?
4: Well, I think you've got a case where, you know, first of all, uh, on the charts, you could take Alibaba to probably 210, 215, and we're still in a downtrend. Um, I, I don't think that the Chinese government is is going to let up. I, I do think, though, uh, a message has been sent, both not just to the investment community, but to some of the biggest uh, you know, digital and, and tech players in China. And we see the fines paid, and we actually see uh, you know, Alibaba, who's got 85 billion in cash on their balance sheet, probably getting ready to make another payment. Um, I, I think you've changed the discount rate for how you analyze these companies. In other words, you've raised the risk factor, you've lowered your, your share prices. Uh, I think there's been downgrades galore. Um, And the absence of more news, I think these these shares can probably trade near the high end of the range. As I've said before, I've seen this so many times over the years in emerging markets. Um, What's different about this for me in China is is that historically China has proven they've gone out of their way not only to benefit their national champion companies, but to show that their markets are wide open. Uh, And and while they haven't necessarily totally reversed field on this, um, they clearly have made a heavier hand on this one. So I would still be cautious on this rally.
5: Karen, what's the status of your position? Out. I had um, puts that expired August 15th. And um, so I try to sort of uh, take it off my screen. I have the saying, you don't need to make it back where you lost it. So I'm not really inclined to go back in. It's just, you know, this is a, enough money to go be down in one position and I'm out.
3: Grassa. Yeah, this looks like a tremendous buying opportunity. If you looked at the chart alone, but to Tim's point, I actually hit up that trend line uh, right when we started the segment and the price to get back to is 206. So it implies a 20% bounce from where we are now and to Tim's point can still be in a downward trend line. And anything can happen tomorrow morning with a new headline out of China. So you have to be really quick at the switch and realize you're risking a lot to the downside as well. And,
0: Guy, earlier you are talking about this uh, you know, wave of ETF investing. And here we are, Alibaba, one of the most valuable Chinese tech stocks in the world, heavy, heavy weighting in many ETFs. So you've got to be really careful about what you own.
1: You know, and we've said that for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And we've said since Halloween, boo, by the way, which is my want to say, that you know a series of lower lows and lower highs. And we've been cautious, cautious, cautious until August 23rd. And I remember the day we were sitting next to each other and I said, Look, finally, you had capitulation. The stock traded down to 152.80, low of the set, lows that we've seen in quite some time, reverse, close higher on the day on big volume. And we said collectively that that was your tell. And this stock could probably trade up to the levels that Steve and Tim just talked about. And I'll stand by that. I think you absolutely could see this stock still in a downtrend trade up to 205.
0: All right, coming up, we've got some chip options coming your way. Broadcom earnings are on deck, and the semi stock may be ready to soar. More on that when Fast Money returns.
1: Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast.
0: Welcome back to Fast Money. We are gearing up for a major earnings report in the chip space. Broadcom's results cross the wire after the bell on Thursday. Tony Zhang joins us now with the option setup. Tony, what'd you see today?
2: Yeah, so Broadcom broke out from a 10-month trading range earlier this week, and we saw options traders betting on a follow-through for earnings. Now, we did trade fairly actively here, about 1.4 times the average daily volume. But the options market right now is implying a fairly muted options uh, earnings release here, about 3.9% is the implied move. But one particular strike did uh, did, um, stand out from today's action, where about 10% of today's volume was in a single strike, and those were the September 500 calls, where a trader looks like broken up a trade of about 1,000 contracts purchased uh, the September 500 calls for an average price of about $8.52. So this is a a good example of a trader betting almost a million dollars in capital that the fundamentals, the earnings this week, will drive a catalyst for the breakout of this well-defined chart that we've seen here over the past 10 months, merging technicals and fundamentals in this particular options trade.
0: All right, Tony, thanks for that. Tony Zhang, for more options action, you can watch the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Quick take, Guy, on AVGO.
1: Listen, 490 was that prior high back in February. I believe that was the all-time high traded sideways. We've broken out. Yeah, I'm with Tony on this one. I think this stock can go... Significantly higher from here. Well done by Tony Zhang. Big options action fan, by the way. I, I am number one.
0: Number one fan behind my mom. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour, what do you say?
4: Yeah, again, the great thing about autos is in, uh, durable goods that are not impulse purchases. I also think that the inventory stocking makes this cycle even that much more extended. GM is the great buy here.
5: Karen Finderman. Yeah, going into the show today, I thought Pfizer was gonna be my final trade, given where it's come back. It still is my final trade. Nice to have the, the chart also from Chris Perone. so Pfizer. Steve Grasso.
3: So you remember in Apple, when we used to have the uh, the ecosphere, where there was everything, there was your computer, there was your laptop, there was your phone. Now your phone has become the universe. Apple is my final trade, and I think it was much higher.
0: Guy.
1: I'll second the Chris Verone love Alcoa, uh, double A, Melms.
0: All right. That does it for us this hour, but do not go anywhere. We've got a special bonus edition of Fast Money coming your way right after this quick break. Stay tuned.
10: Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president?